KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. I'm Mark Mono. This is the Henry George Program. This is a show all about land use, municipal finance, and transit. In the program, we have on Monica Mallon. Monica Mallon is a student at San Jose State and a transit advocate. We're talking all about what the long-term plans for transit improvements are before the virus and how everyone's dealing with the crisis of the virus. So without much more ado, let's get into it. So welcome, Monica. Hey. Yeah, so uh, I guess to, before we're, we're talking about transit here in Santa Clara County and, and the entire region and beyond, uh, talking about what's happening with the uh, dealing with the coronavirus in, in transit. But I think before we get into that heavy stuff, I, I'm just kind of curious, you, know, you see your personal story. Uh, you're, I'd say, especially for your age, one of the most active transit advocates here uh, in, in, in the region. Uh, well, what first got you not just to be a person with opinions about transit, but someone who actually went out and, and started doing activism? Yeah, so I've been taking transit for as long as I can remember. You know, I mean, my, my earliest memory of taking transit is probably when I was around six or so. And, taking VTA and Caltrain and Bard and Muni and Sam Trans and going all, all throughout the Bay Area. At that time, I wasn't going by myself. You know, I was with family. But, you know, I, I grew up taking transit, and I kind of, especially with VTA, I noticed that things really started to get worse and worse and worse, even though we were passing all of these measures and increasing the gas tax and, and doing all of these things that should have resulted in things getting better and for a really long time throughout that whole process especially after the last recession when a lot of the journalists were laid off you know there wasn't really a lot of reporting locally in Santa Clara County and there weren't really any ways to figure out what to do so I just really didn't know what to do at all and I, I didn't really know any transit advocates and I really felt alone in all of this but then when I went to San Jose State they have a TDM program there that I now work for, but at that time they would send out information about VTA board meetings and how we could get involved. So that's that's how I started to get involved. And I f- first started going to community meetings, which are are a lot less scary, and you know, sharing my thoughts as a student and as a young person. And then I eventually started working for the TDM program, and my boss at the time really encouraged me to go to VTA board meetings. And I think I, I went to my first one, I believe it was September 2018. So, you know, I guess pretty close to two years ago. And I had no idea what to do. <laughs> I, I really didn't know very much about it or, or really how everything worked. But mm-hmm. I kind of just figured it out when I got there and figured out how to fill out the comment card. And I ended up being able to speak. I was speaking in favor of keeping a route that San Jose State students use a lot. And, you know, at that meeting, I was the only person from the public that spoke from a rider perspective. So I I was just really surprised that there was just not really anything going on. You know, they're making all these decisions about what bus routes are going to cut, what bus routes are going to keep, you know, the transit plan Mm -hmm. moving forward. And nobody's really engaged with it other than the, the transit operators in the union. And me, you know, I was, I was really young at the time. Yeah, I think a lot of ordinary people can be really, you know, kind of intimidated by the fact. Well, I'm not, I'm no expert, but I mean, it's, it's, it sounds simple, but it, it people, you know, people forget that just everybody who has experiences with transit has a lot to offer as far as you know guiding where it goes. 
and I mean, it's it, it is a baroque system to know. Like you know, it sounds like you got a heads up through uh, you know what you were learning through your your program and all that about you know who to speak to and what. But I think you know most people don't recognize all the overlapping <laughs> governments that that control our, our our transit and beyond here. So it's uh, I think it's it's really good too that you know on 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 Twitter you can uh, be a voice for explaining what the kind of processes are to kind of make it less intimidating to more people. Yeah. You know, I, it's, they don't really tell you what to do at all. You just walk into this room and there's all these people and there's not really any sign that says go here and sign in or get this comic card and, and bring it to this place. So I, I think I just ended up asking someone, that's what you need to do every time. You have to find someone who seems like they know what they're doing and yeah. bother them. So uh, as far as what are your thoughts now, uh, just as far as uh, being able to talk to people, give comment over Zoom and other stuff as compared to the old system? Because I, I'm not sure personally. I've, I, I mean, I, I've, I have bad internet most of the time, so it's kind of uh, not great but uh, in some ways. But... And I, I miss the meetings, you know, personally, just kind of going to these weird places. But how, how well do you think this is working? You know, just, uh, you know, because it does mean less travel. You can just pop in in a moment. It's, it's been okay. I think the benefit is that I can go to more meetings because I don't have to travel between them. But I've also had some, some internet issues and, and getting disconnected and all of that. So I probably ended up commenting less than I did before. But at the same time, I do think that it's a lot more accessible to people and people are more willing to do it. But I, I really miss going through the whole process. I miss taking a slow bus or light rail and, you know, dealing with the whole thing because, you know, there's something that was really, really cool about making a public comment, getting the end of that meeting and, you know, actually being able to accomplish all of that and overcome all of those obstacles that they have for people to actually rely on their transit to go to these meetings. So I, I miss the way that it was before, but I do think that they should have more options for digital participation after this is over because, you know, I think, I think different people have their preferences and I'm the type of person that really does like doing things in person and I'm not really into this whole telecommuting thing, but I know that a lot of people are. Yeah, I, I, re I really hope there could be a uh, hybrid because I think it's really special to be there. There's kind of like you go into a back room, talk with people, learn from people. It's, it's not, you don't get that over the telecommuting. But boy, it is. It's every time in the past, it's like, oh, these people who might be commuting from far away. It's like, oh, can you stick around till I think it's going to be eight, but it might be till midnight. Who knows? It's like that's not realistic for most people. I mean having your computer open is already enough of a pain, much less sacrificing your whole evening to it. Yeah, and, and with the San Jose City Council, I've noticed that since it is through Zoom, a lot more people have been commenting, and they've regularly been going to midnight week after week after week. Yeah, I mean, I, I over in the mid-peninsula, like Palo Alto starts at 6, goes to midnight, but yeah, San Jose has always intimidated me, like the fact it starts, you know, 2 o'clock normally and stuff. That's That's not great for working people. Yeah, it, it normally, I mean, you really never know when an item on San Jose City Council agendas are, are going to come up. You yeah. know, like, we have ceremonial stuff starting at 1.30. The real thing starts at 2. But then depending on how many comments the council members make or members of the public makes, you know, could take any amount of time. So. Yeah, it's, 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 
it really lends to people who have a lot of you know free time or are just incredibly uh, you know motivated. So let's let's hope this you know let's let's hope something good comes from it. But okay, so let's talk about you know pre coronavirus. Uh, you know you uh, were you know an advocate for a lot of improvements to both Santa Clara County as well as you know regional transit measures. And a lot of this has changed, but I guess let's just kind of you know get the context of wh- you know what was your viewpoint as of let's say like February as far as what was the future of improving Santa Clara County transit? Yeah, I mean in in February I felt so hopeful and I was so excited, and for the first time it really felt like all of my efforts, all of the efforts of other people, were really you know actually making a difference for once in a really big way. You know, especially with the regional measure, because MTC actually went against the leadership group and, and faster with their recommendations, and they really adopted a lot of the things that we suggested. So I, I really felt like there could have been some sort of really great compromise there that, that would have really benefited the region. So with the regional measure, you know, I was very skeptical at first, and then I slowly came along as, as things happened. So this is this is a SB two seventy eight, which yeah. was it was it was passed last year uh, by the state house, uh, which allows it to go on the ballot, and it was going to go this November, but this has been scrapped. Yeah. Yeah. So and and, and what what uh, is 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 the main? I, I guess describe exactly you know what what the main thrust of of this regional measure would have accomplished. Well, I, I think you know they didn't really end up coming to any sort of compromise. MTC kind of put out their platform and Faster put out their platform and they're still a little bit far apart. But, you know, my hope would be that it would fund both capital and operations. And, you know, especially on the operation side, really bring things back up to the levels that they were at, you know, 10, 20 years ago before before the recession and then before a lot of these cuts had to be made. Um, you know, and, and that would kind of be the easiest way to do it. I don't think that you need to pass a measure to improve transit. You know, we have plenty of money that we're spending on highways right now. But it's it's kind of the easy, surefire way to improve things. So, so as far as, you know, people who are not so much in putting money in operations and only putting it towards, you know, upfront capital costs, I mean, I think people, you know, tend to say this is, because you know it's flashier, you get a lot more recognition for doing the sexy new improvements rather than uh, operations. Uh, I mean, is is well, what's the best way to kind of convince people that you know that operations, as unsexy as it is, is really you know is really something that you can convince you know our, our organizations to go behind? Well, I think with with some people, just really explaining that if you know, for example, with. BTA is planning on doing a light rail extension um, on the east side. For that, you know, they're only getting the capital funding from the measures. There's no funding for operations, so they would have to reduce the frequency on something else or cut a bus line or something in order to fund that. And I think explaining that it's that this capital project is negatively, negatively going to impact other people or even those same people if they're also traveling throughout the county is, is something that is really important and just really emphasizing that you know it's a system you know people are are not just going from their home to their work or their home to bar or their home to Caltrain if you don't own a car you really need to go to a really wide variety of places so every decision that's made impacts you yeah it's it's, it's easy to understand i think people who maybe 
don't rely on transit or not that active. It's like, oh, BART going to San Jose, this is going to change everything. Finally, it's going to be, finally transit is coming, as opposed to, you know, realizing there is already a ton of transit and, you know, you don't have to wait for BART uh, and new connections to say this can be improved as it is right now and, and help a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's always something that, that has really struck me, you know, being involved with San Jose and Santa Clara County Transit, obviously, is that everyone acts like we're going to have a transit system when BART comes to San Jose, but really we already have one and it could be a lot better. And just, you know, just being able to get from, from San Jose to Oakland or wherever you're going, we can already get there and BART will make it easier. But if you can't make those other local connections without a car, there's not much point unless the goal is to have people just park in massive parking lots. Yeah. You know, this is this is something you posted. I found eye popping. Uh, I think it's easy to have a, a picture of it like, oh yeah, transit is stagnant here. It's you know been about the same. It's not improving. But in fact, uh, two decades ago uh, in Santa Clara County, we, we, I don't know if it's all routes or if it's just VTA, but it was uh, 47 million people using transit here. Uh, and, and now, in you know our most recent numbers, it's down from 47 million down to 28 million. You know, so almost half of it has been reduced uh, yeah. as far as ridership, and that's just astounding. So it's just we, you know, just to go back to where we were would be a massive win for us right now. Yeah, you know, after especially with all these capital improvements they made, and even the light rail, you know, that that really hurt the bus system and really caused them to make a lot of cuts in both frequency and coverage. So the system just became a lot less useful. And as people were abandoning the system, it also slowed down the system. So it became less reliable and, you know, just just less convenient for people. You know, if you're going to be on a bus stuck in traffic and it's going to take way longer than it would take to drive and, you know, it's not coming frequently enough and you can't make the connections, you're just not going to use transit. And I think that's really what the data proves to me. Because, you know, there, there's a lot of people, especially in the, the Yimby and, and housing community in the South Bay, that think that housing will solve transit. And they just don't really look back at what actually happened. And, you know, and, and I think also when, when people say the word transit and, you know, people don't necessarily know about it, they think rail. But most of the time when I'm talking about transit, I'm saying, you know, we have 80 buses sitting in the, the yard. Let's, let's fund operations at a higher level so that we can get those out. Yeah, I, I, th I think I'm guilty of saying like, oh, El Camino could be a much bigger backbone of a really nice bus transit system. We just need a lot more housing there. But I mean, you know, as as it's shown, I mean, it's I think based upon you know previously higher ridership and so on, you know, we could do better with the housing we already have. Even though I think that they are very compatible to yeah. kind of improve them, you know, you know, side by side. Yeah, I think they're obviously really compatible, and you know, I'm I'm all for building more housing along that corridor. But I don't think that that, like, the the lack of housing now and the delay of certain projects shouldn't be an excuse for not improving transit speed along that corridor. Because, you know, it like you start in San Jose, you end up in Palo Alto like two hours later. Sometimes it's it's just so painfully slow. And if we had actually moved forward with the BRT plans for that entire corridor, you could do that in less than an hour. And I, I really worry too, I mean, this is kind of, you know, my own my own confession is I lived on the peninsula, you know, most a lot of this was, was Stanford campus, but on the peninsula by the car for, you know, seven years, 
But then based upon a new place I was living, it just became impossible to make it work. And I just finally had to buy a used car. And when you do it, it just it's so hard to get back in the right kind of mindset to just rely on transit. And then you are you're kind of letting down the system. So it's it's I think it's as far as trying to keep people from crossing that threshold, it's like you have to make transit work enough to make sure you don't surrender and just buy down, you know, break down and get the car. And it's uh, it's it's very hard to, to turn that switch back as much as I'd, I'd love to get rid of my car now. Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, I work for a TDM program and I think there's a lot of value in TDM and education, but if the service is inadequate, there's not that much that you can do. Yeah. You know, especially like, you know, it's, I, I work for a college TDM program, so there's a lot of broke college students. They're pretty open to, to saving money by taking transit. But, you know, when you have people that are working for tech companies and making six figures, they're not going to be willing to sacrifice that kind of time. Yeah. I mean, especially, I mean, it, that is one weird wrinkle of the uh, Bay Area regional system is we have, you know, a series of pretty interesting bus rat, rapid transit, but it's completely private systems that are run only by a few companies. Uh, I think they're actually pretty interesting and novel, but it's 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 too bad it only serves this margin of people who are fairly privileged and not the greater public. Yeah, I think that was really a huge mistake, you know, separating that out and not running a public express bus system. You know, because, I mean, even some of these companies are fairly close together and they could share those buses and share those resources because I don't think that these tech shuttles are completely full. Yeah, I mean, I, I think too, I mean, I really wonder if regulations could be like a way of just saying, well, it's like, oh, we encourage you, run these shuttles, but we want to make sure the public can get on too and go different places as opposed to right now, it's, you know, it really is just, oh, go ahead and do this, you know, just go ahead for your employees and your employees alone. It's just scraping back some public benefit would be really nice. Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest issues with that is that the tech shuttles aren't um, ADA compliant. So mm. it would be, you know, I don't think it would be possible for the transit agencies to partner with them in any way if they're still using those vehicles. Yeah. But, you know, I, I do think at some point there should be some sort of merger and you know, selling the vehicles, purchasing new ones, and just really creating a regional express bus network that crosses county lines. Because even now, there's all this, you know, some of the agencies are saying, hey, we don't want to cross this county line. There's someone else that's responsible for these people. Even though, you know, there's there's a lot of people that are coming from Santa Clara County to San Mateo County or San Francisco County and, you yeah. know, going to all these places. It's not too crazy to imagine, you know, just one really nice bus goes El Camino. El Camino is you know, one of the most ancient roads around here, but you have to switch from Samtrans to VTA to, to go, you know, from one county to another. It'd be so nice if it was just more fluid, but... Yes. I mean, and especially if they had bus lanes or BRT or signal preemption along that corridor. Because if they don't and they're combined, then they're going to have a lot of reliability issues. Yeah, and, but- I, and I, I guess, like... That's like a city by city basis about how we expand bus only lanes right now. It's just it's so many so many moving pieces, so many governments to to kind of change this. And yeah, I I decided to try to do that again at the very beginning of this year, and I was able to get a you know transit first priority for the San Jose City Council priority setting. Yeah, but you know they still have to come back and actually approve the policy, but. 
it got six votes. Um, nice. You know, actually doing it. It made it on. It was one or two that made it on, on the first round. So I'm pretty confident that it would pass. But the fact that you have to go through this process with every single city and get them to approve a policy or do it for priority setting and go one by one is just really, really hard to do, especially as one person. And especially, you know, everybody kind of knows who I am at this point and they know where I live. So it's really hard to go to Sunnyvale or Palo Alto and say, hey, you know, I want you to do this because they know that I'm not a constituent. Well, I mean, but that's the thing. I mean, even though you're not a constituent, uh, I think it's, it's, you know, should be obvious that someone who lives in San Jose but needs to get to Sunnyvale is a relevant person that should be listened to. Uh, as, as opposed to, yeah, it's just it's everyone only serving their own little fiefdom. It's it's not it's not good as far as you know getting good results for for regional kind of issues. Yeah, I I really think that that some of the local control needs to be removed with some of these things at some point because you know it's it's just so hard to get it done. Yeah, so I guess okay, let's talk more about before times before the virus and just kind of I think. How some things were already a challenge. Uh, March in the primary, you know, election uh, served as a defeat for some major transit ballot measures, both in Marin, Sonoma, uh, and then another one in Con- uh, Contra Costa County. And uh, I guess, what are your what are your thoughts about exactly, you know, you know how important it was that this that these didn't succeed, and you know how that how that you know was worrying you or do you think it you know wasn't worrying you so much for the mtc measure in the fall if that were to go have gone ahead well i think for me at the time i viewed them as more of a positive thing for us because i'm part of the voices coalition and we are really pushing for a more progressive revenue source to be included in the measure so that would have helped us with that you know because all of the other measures i believe were all sales taxes or or bonds. Yeah. I think it would have helped to convince MTC to really push the faster coalition and Senator Bell to consider something other than a one cent sales tax or, you know, something that was mixed like a half cent sales tax and parking, you know, tax or whatever else they would end up doing or wealth tax. Um, you know, so I think it would have been good at that time. I mean, we could have used it to our advantage, but now, you know, it's it's really scary because, you know, we can't, because that regional measure was with enabling legislation and it was this whole complicated process. So we could have done some sort of mixed thing. But now, you know, if there's not really any will to get enabling legislation, the only real options for most counties and most agencies are sales tax. Yeah, and and right now, you know, Sacramento isn't even functioning. You know, who knows what they're going to be capable of 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 delivering this year when it's all said and done. But uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, to uh, I guess you know, put more of an explanation behind you know, Faster Bay Area being one group, Voices for Public Transportation being another group. They both have a lot of goals in mind about better tr- transit. Faster is you know, I, I happy to go with kind of the most politically feasible path most of the time which is sales tax. It's one of the easiest to put on. That's why we do it. But Voice of Public Transportation is saying, this isn't great. It's a regressive tax. Why don't we do better? Why don't we look at you know everything from parcel taxes, but especially looking at uh, you know business, corporation type side things of saying, you know, there are a, a fair number of extremely successful you know firms in this area. Uh, maybe we can sc- scrape back some of that value for, for it. Uh, and I mean, I think 
that's you know that's you more of a lift i think even even more of a lift is to try to scrape back a lot of kind of the the land value the real estate you know uplift in the area uh, that's a mixture of being just extremely tough. Parcel taxes are just really hard to get past. And on top of that, ad valorem, you know, uh, taxes are in fact illegal due to Prop 13. But uh, so, I mean, uh, but it's a very exciting, you know, kind of kind of coalition to create this this thing. I mean, let's change the assumptions about what's possible for, for transit measures. So a- any thoughts? I mean, I guess this is one thing too. Now let's talk about the virus has hit, sales taxes have now plummeted so even though they've always been the go-to uh it's you know it's now it's now a bit of a, of a drought as far as sales taxes so i think looking at other measures is now looking smarter than ever yeah i think if we can really come together there is a possibility to do something else either regionally or locally in 2022 but you know we have to get everybody on board if we are going to really be you know kind of able to sway faster and able to sway, you know, whoever Senator Bell's replacement ends up being or whoever ends up reintroducing the enabling legislation, Um, you know, because all of these people are really kind of like to to go with the status quo and do the the same things over and over again. And I mean, I think, too, it's like, you know, who is hurt by sales taxes? And the answer is, it's everybody a little bit, you know, but how do you get people kind of stirred up to say, you know, I'm, you know, I would rather, you know, people with more, you know, firms, a lot more money actually pay more into transit and less, you know, this small little cut on every single person. But it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's not the, most people don't have a very kind of, I think, you know, uh, I think intuitive understanding about the entire sales tax stuff. It just, you know, most people just kind of buy stuff and it just happens, you know, it's very hard to keep track of. So it's, I mean, it's, I, I don't know if it's easy to kind of rile more people up, you know, to say, Hey, let's, you know, let's go for progressive taxes. But I, I think, you know, I have a lot of hope for voices is going to, going to do more to, you know, really kind of, you know, start that narrative. Yeah. I think, I think we really need to do a lot more outreach in all the nine counties because before we were on this really tight timeline. So it was mainly, you know, a a core group of maybe 30 people or so that were then sending information back to their own individual groups. But I think now that we have a lot more time, I think we really need to go around and and educate transit riders and transit advocates and, you know, get the, the climate advocates on board because they're really building a lot of momentum right now. And, working with seniors and, and working with all of these different groups that are concerned about transit cuts. Because, you know, before the measure to me was about making things better. And I was kind of at a place where I was, you know, if it, if it wasn't perfect or it wasn't good enough for me, I wouldn't have voted for it. If there wasn't enough funding for operations, I wouldn't have voted for it. But now it's like, if we don't put something on the ballot at some point, transit will not exist anymore. And these agencies are going to go bankrupt. Yeah. So, it's, it's a lot more high stakes, and I think that that is something that could bring people in and get people to compromise more. But I, I, it's, I think that's really exciting. You're talking about everyone from different orgs. A lot of different orgs are signing on to the Voices for yeah. Public Transportation. So I think it's it's a message a lot of people were already really you know excited to, to sign on to. So that's, I, I'm, I'm really optimistic. Yeah, I think, I think now that we have a lot more time, we can yeah. really – build it up a lot more and, and really work with our local elected officials more. Yeah. 
So, okay, I think now transitioning to, I think, you know, the bad news, or at least the current challenge, uh, it is, you know, now it's crazy that it's less than, you know, what is this, less than a month and a half since the shelter-in-place started, but it's it's changed so much about, you know, how we're dealing with, you know, transit around here. I mean, and the immediate effects are, you know, sales tax revenues, I think, are down. I think one stat is uh, 45% in San, San Jose proper. Uh, but on top of that, you know, ridership, which, you know, makes, a, a, you know, depending upon how big your fare box recovery is, a pretty big uh, chunk of how these uh, these transit agencies operate, uh, they're down up to 90% in a lot of places. I think 90% for Caltrain, 75% for VTA. I mean, this is dramatic and, and, and everyone's hurting a lot. Yeah, it's, it's really, really shocking and it's just really sad to see you know, all these revenue losses coming in. And, you know, I, I don't want to encourage people to take transit right now. I think yeah. that it's good that people are staying home. But, you know, how, how this is approached after is, is really going to determine the future of transit in the Bay Area and really across the country because everybody's dealing with all this. And in the Bay Area, the agencies are in a lot of different situations. You know, Caltrain is, is mainly... Fairbox, and then small contributions from uh, the three counties. VTA is mostly sales tax, and that's down by 50% in Santa Clara County, which is, is a really, really huge drop for them. Um, you know, and then most of the others are, are kind of split between the two. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's it, especially here in Santa Clara County, since we're funding partners with so many of these different agencies. You know, even though what happened today at MTC will fill BTA's deficit until the end of the year, we still have to worry about Caltrain. We still have to worry about ACE. And they didn't really get very much money out of this. Yeah, so I think that's that's the story of, you know, the immediate impact was things are bad. You know, everybody is immediately in a panic. What should happen in a, you know, a massive crisis like this? Ideally, a lot of money flows from above. And in fact, through the CARES Act at the federal level, uh, there was a transit bailout. Is what we call it a bailout? Just call it aid, whatever. Uh, but 780 million came to all of the different transit agencies in uh, the Greater Bay Area. And uh, yeah, as you say, you know, it uh, Caltrain, for example, you know, didn't get a whole lot. 50 million compared to uh, 200 million from Uni and SF. Bart got 280 million. Uh, so I mean, that it it I mean, every every bit helps. But you know, it's. It doesn't really you know, help every agency in proportion to exactly how much help they need. And uh, I guess you, you were a lot of these meetings, and I think there was, there was one earlier today, by the time we're recording, about how this gets divvied up, what processes and so on. Uh, and I guess what, is you, what do you think are the good and bad news of how you saw the MTC operate uh, as far as kind of allocating this money? Well, I mean, I, the thing that I really appreciated about it was that they didn't leave the smaller operators behind. You know, I, when I first heard about this, I thought that, you know, small agencies like County Connection, ACE, which is smaller, you know, they would just get left behind and end up with nothing and go bankrupt. But that didn't really happen. They did provide them with at least some money. But I, I think that it should have been more based on need because I think everybody has different needs in this based on how they're funded. And you know, I think really focusing on the um, STA hurt agencies like Caltrain that, you know, are, are not getting that funding. They're getting it directly from the partner agencies. 
So the only thing that they had that was able to give them funding in this formula was their fare box, really, and their budget. Yeah. So, you know, I think that was a little bit of a, a problem. But I, I think in this round, they're really just trying to get the money out as quickly as possible. And I think it was a somewhat fair compromise, but I would like them to really take their time with the next round and consider need a little bit more and, and really spread out the pain more evenly. Yeah, so I, I think, uh, so the next round, as far as I think the, the idea is advocating for a pure needs-based, as far as just kind of how can we keep operations going during this crisis, and a lot of different people are uh, uh, advocating for, you know, better, you know, uh, protection to actually make sure that it is still a feasible option during the health crisis, such as better cleaning, hazard pay for employees, you know, better health equipment. Uh, but on top, I, mean, I guess I, I don't, I'm not sure I really understand uh, kind of w what is the rationale behind, you know, the way they're divvying it up based on like fare box rates and so on. Like, what is that supposed to reflect even as opposed to immediately saying, oh, operations cost, let's look at, you know, shortfalls and just try to plug up the gaps. Uh, like, what is the best, like, I guess the best reading of how this, how their, their argument does make sense that, you know, fare box rates is another necessary part. Well, I think they just were trying to figure something out. And, you know, at, at first they probably wanted most of it to go to the bigger agencies that have the highest ridership. And I, I think that at first they wanted to have some sort of formula that was based primarily on ridership. But then some of the smaller agencies had issues with that. So then they said, we're going to do this kind of mixed thing with a little bit of what everyone wants. So that's that's my understanding of it. So it doesn't have to make sense. It just seems like something you can put yeah, down and I, people's okay. Compromise. Yeah. So that's yeah. Because I mean, some people wanted it to be a percentage of their budget. Some wanted it to be fare box. Some wanted it to be ridership, and they just kind of combined all those things. Yeah. I mean, reading over, I I couldn't exactly track why every factor made sense. So it's easier to imagine. It was just kind of a, a stew of things that kind of seemed feasible to compromise on. So that's. Uh, I mean, you say like the next round, is that like, is that actually something that is known to come down in next round of transit funding or is this aspirational? I'm not sure I'm not exactly following. No, they, they only distributed about half of the total funding. So they got, I believe it was $1.3 billion and they only distributed 700 and something okay, million. So, so they, they're still keeping some in reserve. Nice. Okay, so they both came from the original CARES Act, but yeah, yeah we're, we're only giving up the, the first chunk of it right now. Yeah. Just so that they can kind of assess the situation and see what they want to do. Yeah. So I, I feel like it is such a weird situation right now based upon, you know, the shelter in place. Uh, and, and I guess even when this ends, uh, what it's going to be like, because I, I, I'd say there are two, this is like one way I'm looking at it. They're like, there's two really important parts of transit around here. One is about how do we deal with congestion? You know, how do we actually make sure that things flow, people move around from jobs, get around and just make sure that isn't just car-based stuff just doesn't work. Uh, as opposed to the other end, which is, you know, serving vulnerable people, serving transit-dependent people. And, you know, right now we still have the need to serve transit-dependent people, but the congestion part just, you know, that's not an issue right now. Congestion is down, you know, cars have disappeared uh, to a large extent and it's great, uh, but we still need to deal with the other half. But, you know, that it really has not been part of the whole transit mindset. It's like, oh, maybe, you know, how do we deal with a massive change and still operate? And it's, 
it seems like just a, a huge challenge to these agencies. And I'm just like, yeah, kind of, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really know what the best way for them to approach this is, but I think what really needs to happen is that MTC does need to play a much bigger role in the coordination of everything. Because even today with, you know, the whole uh, 5% for PPE and cleaning, they didn't want to do that because they didn't want to make decisions for the entire region. You know, that's one example of where they just don't want to act the way that they're supposed to. That's the point of MTC is for them to coordinate and plan transportation in the Bay Area. But they still don't want to do that. They say, like, we, we, we would rather every individual agency make their own decisions on... Yeah. That's, yeah, that's... So you know, and, and I know a lot more of the, the background of this and what it actually took, especially because VTA is, is really doing a great job with all of this. But they weren't a couple of months ago. And the process to getting there was was pretty messy and there were some, some not-so-great things that people had to do to make that happen. So I think a lot of the commissioners don't know what happened because it was more of a negotiation between the unions and the staff of these various agencies. But, you know, it's it's not something that everybody's just willing to do. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time and it costs money and there's coordination involved. And so, I mean, and you think if MTC showed a more leadership at the top level, they could yeah. really coordinate this and not force a lot of kind of friction and kind of just more, I guess, drama or whatever than you need to at, at lower levels? Yeah. And I think if they had that fund reserved, you know, and, and transit agencies would be able to get funding for PPE and cleaning if they needed it. Because, you know, there's a lot of donations, you know, a lot of different sources are, are coming into play here in terms of, of getting this these materials and, and these supplies. But, you know, if they at least had a fund that would be able to help agencies and, you know, kind of give them no excuse to do it, to not, not to do it, I think that would have been really helpful because, you know, now as, as transit advocates, we have to go agency by agency and fight this out, which is just, it's a lot of unnecessary stress when we already have so much to deal with. So I mean, the, so as far as I understand, like the MTC has been getting stronger and stronger in recent years. Is that right to yeah. say? Yeah. Are, are people who are running the MTC are, are like are they saying are there people who really have a vision of it becoming a more unified body? Like what's what's the actual governance as far as your mind of people who have a good vision of how it could, you know, be more unified or just kind of do a better job of coordinating? Uh, how 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 is the government in that sense? I think they really try and. I don't remember what year this happened, but uh, when Supervisor Cortezzi was the chair, he, you know, led to ABAG and MTC combining into one agency so that there would be a lot more coordination. And I think that, you know, I think Scott Haggerty shares that vision as well. And a lot of the, the people that represent bigger cities and counties, but I think a lot of these people that are from Marin or, you know, all these small cities, they don't want someone making decisions for them. Because, you know, they, they just feel like they're going to get taken over by these bigger cities and bigger counties and not have any say in it. So it's, it's this really tough balance. And, you know, just this is one of the reasons why I kind of feel like some of these boards and commissions should be mixed and should not exclusively be appointed elected officials. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I, if we talk about like Marin, I, I it's perhaps wrong, but I, I can't help but think of like uh, what's his uh, Seamus Seamus's uh, cartoons or photoshops of just you know 
just constantly talking about how smart rail is just going to destroy the way of life in Marin and just it's like this, this real fixation that I just like I think a lot of people genuinely have in these areas just you know transit is a threat to 1970s style of life or something it's 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 I don't know it's 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 very hard to overcome that especially if 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 they uh have a large voice as far as how people you know you know taking all these issues yeah yeah it's just you know it's 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 really hard and I do kind of see both sides of this and I understand why they feel that way and why they feel like you know because you know the political systems in these big counties and cities are very different and you know here they're really controlled by powerful lobbyists so the elected officials aren't even necessarily doing the best job of representing their actual constituents yeah so I see how there's that problem and you know I I would be kind of concerned (laughs) to just leave them to do whatever they want if they're alone but these smaller city people do still have some voice and people can make public comments and organize and you know, the point of MTC is for them to coordinate things, so yeah. they should be doing that. I mean, I think you can say like they they can make the right vision, they can make the right choices, but you know the way California, especially, is set up with all this kind of local control is really guaranteed. Everyone has veto power for so many things. Boy, it, it just everybody has the right to kind of just be the you know the dog in the manger and just kind of screw it all up or something, and it's. It's very hard to overcome that, you know, it's, and it's, it's it's easy to understand, you know, you know, there's a lot of emotional, sentimental reasons, at the very least, to be for local control, not changing things, but you have to ask, you know, as far as, like, at the very least, dealing with increased congestion year after year, how are people dealing with it? And they don't really have good answers. I've never, I've never hear much. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they complain about all these traffic problems, but then, when you try to do VRT or you try to actually improve transit in some sort of way that, you know, takes something away from cars, I guess you could say, everybody's up in arms. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's, I would like to say, oh, you know, carrots and sticks. I mean, I, I, I think maybe just because I am, you know, uh, you know, trolling or whatnot, like I, I go to the stick too often. It's like, we need to make life harder for car people because they're just too entitled but I think it's nice to say, oh, let's try to be nicer and just make you know better transit. Let's you know kind of just have a compromise. But I don't know. I just feel car you know car advocates they're hardliners, and I feel that that yeah. is in too much of the time people defer to the hardliners of, of car people. It's hard. And I mean, especially in this situation where we're not going to have a lot of funding for operations, it's really important to improve efficiency with things like signal preemption and bus lanes because then they can maintain the same frequency for less money and cut a lot less service. Yeah. And I think, I mean, right now, I think that is something which is, I find really, really hard to swallow is during the sheltering crisis, uh, a lot of the assumptions are, oh, people are stably housed and they have access to a car and they can just go on doing their thing. It's fine. And it just normalizes the fact, oh, having a car and driving around is normal. Having a transit, you know, transit-based lifestyle or dependence on transit is just that's you know an edge case. Let's not worry about that during this public health crisis. But you know, this is just further ingraining the kind of entitlements that 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 uh, car users tend to have in this in this system. Yeah, and especially now, this would be the perfect time to do you know a pilot bus lane on El Camino because there's not that much traffic, and and we can really see 
you know, how great it would be. You know, I, I took transit once on El Camino during this crisis, and we were going 50 miles per hour, which is something that I've never experienced yeah. in a car or in, in a bus in my entire life, you know, and I, I grew up here, so. Yeah, it's, no, that's yeah. a, you don't, you don't want to, like, just kind of, you know, in, in bad faith take advantage of a crisis and say, oh, now is the right time. But, I mean, I think it's just a good idea. You know, now is the perfect time to do experiments with, with bus transit and so on. And then, you know, people can try it out when all of this is over and, and really see how great it is. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, too. It's like, as far as like keeping steady operations, because the last thing you want is to kind of cut back on routes, make it harder for people, and then on top of it, you have less, you know, transit running, people are necessarily going to be more crowded in the few different things they have. You know, it's going to cost a lot to keep operations up, but that's also going to make it healthier for people who use it. Yeah. Yeah, I think these are really things that, that they should consider. You know, and, and just doing a pilot, you know, take some cones, yeah. you know, just, just for the light rail, you know, crank up the signal priority a little bit and just see what happens. You know, yeah. this is a perfect time to experiment, and it costs almost no money to do these things in the grand scheme of things. And this is this is a yeah I guess like a sister project is not you know taking car lanes and trying bus you know experiments as far as taking away car you know you know lanes and having more room for pedestrians because right now with the public health crisis it's you know more important than ever that people aren't crowded on sidewalks and you know people are trying this you know maybe not as widespread as it could be but uh, it's it's pretty exciting that you see people just walking in the streets and you know this this could be a way that we have. Uh, we, you know, kind of claw back a bit of, you know, places that have been used exclusively for cars, you know, over the last you know, decades and more. Yeah, it's been really great to see everything that's been happening. Is 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 San Jose doing, uh, you know, much as far as uh, dedicated uh, pedestrian use, in, or is that I've seen that mostly in East Bay and a little bit in SF. I'm not sure if there's anything going on yeah, down there. Not doing anything in San Jose. Uh, that's too bad, but you know, well, let's see. They probably won't. <laughs> in is, is what, what's the reason for like do you think the situation is different in Oakland or is this just you know kind of it's, how there's not you know there's not a lot of leadership on the city council yeah. you know they're not the type of people that are really going to stick their necks out for things that you know some some transit and, and bike and pet advocates want you know that's not really how the system works there and because you know the business and labor groups are dealing with so many issues right now they're not going to help us in any sort of way yeah so as as far as you know when things you know let's just assume i mean we want to assume at some point things will get better as far as shelter in place goes and right now we're dealing with these funds but what, what's kind of your way of kind of telling people what the best way to look at recovering you know from this and and getting to a more ideal transit system is like what's what's your what's your narrative to kind of pitch people on well, I, I think one of the main things that I think people really need to be advocating for is a plan. Yeah. So if you don't have a plan for the future, it's going to be really, really hard to get people to prioritize transit in any sort of way. So with Caltrain, I think it's really great that they approved their business plan right before this happened because everybody's excited about that and they're going to be a lot more willing to do whatever it takes to get the money so that they don't fall behind so much that that's not possible. So well, what, are the, what are the biggest things that are in the business plan and how does it how does it deal with you know kind of current changes? Well, I mean they haven't they haven't changed it 
for the current situation. But, you know, I mean, they're talking about their measure, which may or may not go forward now. And that would allow them to run a lot more trains, you know, up to four, four to six trains per hour in a lot of cases. And, you know, I think the fact that they have that is going to make them more willing to get more funding from or trying to get more funding from the state and federal government and, and partner agencies and potentially trying to get some of the split role funding if that ends up passing. Yeah. I mean, that's, you talk about things are, you know, taken off the ballot for this fall. Uh, split roll is continuing to happen. And boy, I mean, this is, this is really fortunate timing insofar as California is hurting a lot and split roll would create a massive amount of money that even taking a small chunk off of it could do a ton to help transit. So it's, I, I mean, I, you really have to get your fingers crossed that this is going to, you know, make a, a big impact and, and, you know, people will be, uh, willing to say this is what we need <laughs> to kind of fix things this November. Yeah, I mean, it, it would really solve most problems when you look at the, the deficits, not not just for transit, but for cities and counties as well. You know, if that, if that passed in Santa Clara County, we could, you know, essentially bail out, bail out every city, you know, yeah. help BTA, help Caltrain, and just solve the problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as far as value capture goes, just we talked about earlier, you know, kind of your sales taxes, it is kind of a slow grind and you just kind of get in what you get out. But we have this massive, massive, you know, resource of just these, you know, rising land values that we've just let you know, sit there for decades. And if we tap into it, it is uh, it's a jackpot. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it could really, really help get transit agencies back on track if people are really willing to advocate for that. Yeah. Even, you know, in Santa Clara County, 3% would fill BTA's deficit right now when they're losing 50% of sales tax revenue in all of the box yeah like now you know after the crisis when things are more stabilized one percent you know would be able to solve whatever the the deficit is from sales tax yeah i mean i think it's very easy to kind of just like you know lose track of the magnitudes of the money that you know just the the split will be so huge that yeah even a small percentage would just you know be a game changer which is that's that's pretty exciting kind of interesting to see what the leadership group has to say about all this because they're the ones that have kind of done all the transit stuff in this county for the past 20 or 30 years, but they're also very opposed to split roll. That's, I mean, as far as the political coalitions, that's the thing. Like, what is, like, there's always, there's, you know, kind of, you know, there's there's labor, and there's kind of the chamber of commerce types, and there's, you know, just, you know, you know schools. I mean, like, as far as, especially, like, chamber of commerce, there's very weird kind of, uh, you know, uh, weird kind of, you know, things you're going to pull for, and, and they want... To have more people move around easier through transit, but you know they they don't want change. If this is something you're doing in San Jose. It's like people who are in the Chamber of Commerce type of you know, mindset. They will fight you know a cheaper way to build you know tunnels because it might disrupt you know might disrupt uh, commerce at the moment. And it's you know it's very hard to kind of to balance these things. But I think you know maybe they'll change their mind if it passes and the funds are just available. You know the, the, what are they going to do? You know, yeah, like especially the leadership group, which is generally pretty supportive of transit. Yeah, no, I mean, it's I mean, my my own mindset is if you really are authentically the Chamber of Commerce type, the goal should be you want to see a lot more real commerce happen and not a lot of kind of passive real estate landlord kind of, you know, graft. 
So, I mean, I think really it's in their best interest to say split role, it's great news. You know, it's going to mean real, like more real business and less, you know, kind of just weird uh, real estate schemes that are just like not really helping out our, our economy at all. Yeah, but I mean, they're, they're all really opposed to it. Like the leadership group, actually, they set out this candidate questionnaire and then one of the candidates decided to support split role after they sent it out and they went back and changed it and said, this person now supports split role just to kind of call this person out. Yeah. You know, so they're, they're really against it, but, you know, if it passes, you know, they might try to get some of that money for things that they support. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think my, my general thing is, is this really based upon material interest and so on, or is this kind of just a general instinctual conservatism? I think it's more of the latter. That's at least the way I'm interpreting it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it would really have a positive impact on everyone. I, 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 that's my personal opinion as, as well, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, SB2057, uh, the seamless, uh, you know, seamless Bay Area, uh, you're continuing to advocate for seamless, uh, you know, and is, is, is this, is this continuing to go forward on, on, on schedule during this legislative session? I'm not really sure I'm following this, you know, as well as I could. It, it seems like it will, but it also seems like the legislature may be in a very long recess and might not come back. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it's we're all dealing with telecommuting. You think the legislature could do some stuff too, but apparently not. It's weird. Yeah, but I think it is still a priority bill, and I think that, you know, they will still try to pass it if they're able to come back in time. But, you know, for me, like, you know, I think at the time we kind of saw it as more of a companion bill to the regional measure. But, you know, now... Even if it does pass and they don't necessarily have the funding to implement all of the, you know, all the reforms that were in that, at least it's passed and at least we can do them as soon as we have the funding because, you know, we don't want to wait too long and just have to go through this whole process and build the support and, you know, do all of that. Like, especially for me, you know, in Santa Clara County, it it took a lot to get all the environmental groups on board and to really get people to understand why this is important. You know, and it was a very exhausting process, and I don't want to do this again, potentially with different cast of characters. Yeah, and if you're, if you're to describe, like, what is what is the main top of line, seamless, what is it going to accomplish to make transit better? I mean, I think it's really going to force these agencies to cooperate with each other and see things as, and see transit as a regional issue and not this local issue, which it really hasn't been this entire time. Yeah, you know, and I think that it's really going to improve efficiency and actually save them money ultimately. Yeah, you uh, know, I think everybody's worried about coordinated fares and who gets this money, and I don't have control over this anymore, and, and everyone's scared about giving up control. But you know, this is how you create a good transit system. You know, it if these people that are concerned about it actually took transit, yeah, they realize that all these things make so much sense. No, I mean, you look at the places of world-class transit, they usually don't have all these weird little counties fighting with each other. You need to have a unified system to really have it work well. And, uh, yeah. Uh, and this one thing you mentioned, just about, like, environmental uh, issues. I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm noting slowly but surely a lot of good evolution from kind of, I think, some, like, rather unhelpful, you know, kind of strains of old-style environmentalism. It's just kind of, we need to kind of, you know, you know, end overpopulation we need to kind of make people disappear we need to you know stop 
you know, big, you know, stop construction, stop growth, stop anything. Uh, and just it's, it's just really just saying no, 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 as opposed to saying, hey, what we need is saying yes to better transit and kind of really building more things that actually help the environment. Uh, and, and you say yeah, it's a, a big thing is kind of you know, convincing environmentalists to get on board with this. Uh, well, what's what's your thoughts about, you know, what it's been like to convince people that, you know, building more transit is, in fact, you know, a positive environmental you know, thing to fight for? Well, I think, you know, a lot of the leaders of these environmental groups, especially in Santa Clara County, come from a pretty privileged background, and most of them have never needed to take transit in their entire lives, and most of them have, you know, not really experienced any of these things. And historically, they had this perspective of really pushing for EVs. Yeah. And and improving charging and making those more affordable, and, and really, you know, they wanted the future to be less people and everybody's just in their electric cars driving where they need to go. But I think what I did initially was I really came at it from a climate perspective. And, you know, in San Jose, 63% of emissions come from the transportation sector. And in Santa Clara County, it's about 50% and in the state, it's about 40%. Yeah. So when you actually give them those numbers and really explain that, you know, not everyone can just buy an EV, you know, like, I live in a rental. I can't, you know, control what the EV charging situation is here. And even if I could, it costs like $10,000 or something like that. So I think really explaining the affordability issues and, you know, explaining how long it would actually take for people to actually completely switch over to EVs because a lot of them don't really, you know, they're not a lot there are it's not really a group of a lot of renters. Yeah. You know, don't really understand a lot of these issues that, that the rest of us face. And, and then on top of that, I mean, you're talking about like uh, emissions within the county, but I, you know, a lot of a, a big issue most of the time, thankfully not now so much, is people commuting from different counties, commuting from like over the mountains, you know, going over the Outlaw Pass or whatnot, from Tracy, Manteca and stuff. And, you know, you talk about privilege. These are usually people working, you know, not very high paying jobs and they can't, you know, exactly make it easy to upgrade to EVs. And on top of that will even work. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think making sure there's actually, you know, coherent transportation measures will, have, will actually deal with commuters in a coherent way that I think just wishing uh, EVs into, into processes is, is just not going to happen in the, in, in the terms we need. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's really important for trans advocates to give these people a second chance and really explain things from their store, their perspective. You know, it was a very long process to get these people on board. And I got very frustrated and I wanted to give up many, many times. But, you know, when, when you come at it from a human perspective and you tell them your story and you explain why these things are important to you and you explain, you know, kind of a different perspective than what they're used to, they're going to eventually, you know, either get on board or at least, have a little bit better of an understanding. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think we're, you know, it's, it's you know, about an hour where we should be wrapping up around here. But, uh, you know, I, I think one thing I'm really inspired by is just that uh, you could see, you know, you're kind of, uh, you know, what you are, you know, talking about, you know, online and so on, that, you know, the shelter in place, it's been, it is a massive crisis and it really disproportionately puts transit in danger. But I think you've been able to kind of, you know, look at it and still get yourself into a good footing about how we can, you know, still fight for good things and try to have the best outcomes we can. And I guess my, my question is like, what do you think is the best thing, you know, that, you know, you could recommend to people to kind of not give up hope 
that even though bad things are happening, that we can still make the most out of it? Well, I think that people need to understand that we have plenty of money to save transit. You know, if we just take a small percentage of what we're spending on highway projects that increase pollution and vehicle miles traveled, we can easily save every single transit agency yeah. in the state and in the country. You know, so that's that's something that I really do want to focus on because there's not really any other options at this point if we're not going to be able to go to the ballot. So, you know, I think it depends on, on different agencies. Some are like BTA where it's congestion management and transit, some aren't. But I think there really needs to be pressure on the state to, to change, you know, the way that they fund transit because, you know, still even here, it's a, at least 70 or 80 percent is being spent on highways and roadways and 20 percent is being spent on, you know, buses and rail and, and most of that is rail. Yeah, so it's, a, it's very similar to the kind of federal 80-20 splits. You have a statewide 80-20 split. Yeah, you know, we say that we're so environmentally conscious in California, but the way that we fund transportation does not reflect that at all. Yeah. And I think it's really the perfect time to take a look at that and really put pressure, you know, on, on changing that. You know, especially now when we're actually experiencing this good air quality and, and really seeing how things could be if we just actually funded transit and yeah, and I, I, it. And we, we, I guess you talk about like it's very easy to see things right in front of you, but there's all these kind of powerful forces that are kind of behind the curtain. And, you know, Caltrans is just, you know, it's just has so much inertia as being the always well-funded, just always operating, always politically powerful. And I think, you know, it's, you know, I think especially people who have a lot of like youthful energy to kind of, change the assumptions that go into it yeah i think we can't take for granted that caltrans just gets what it wants every time and it's it's pretty exciting to think this could change you know kind of as far as funding highways and so on yeah i think i think this is really the moment where you know we we have to really start to have these conversations because before you know it was it was the current split transit was funded in a somewhat acceptable way highways are funded really well but now, you know, it's, it's the complete opposite of what our goals are going to be. You know, the state is going to decide, are we going to let all of our trans agencies die? Yeah. And, and put people under extreme financial hardships that were previously relying on transit? Or are we going to figure something out and shift that a little bit? Yeah. So I guess as we wrap up, any, any other final kind of thoughts about what people could look out for? Any kind of, you know, exciting events coming up that people could, you know, uh, keep on the radar as, as far as the next couple of weeks or months? Well, I think that, you know, the biggest thing that I would suggest for people is to get involved with your local transit agencies, talk to elected officials, explain why this is important to you and really explain how it's going to impact you. Because at the end of the day, these people are human beings. And hopefully they will have enough compassion to see you as a human being and at least consider what you're saying. Because so much of this has to do with education. That's the number one thing that I've learned from this whole transit advocacy journey that I've been on over the past almost two years now is that people make wrong the bat people say things that, you know, maybe aren't the best for a transit or best for the environment, mainly because they just don't know about it. Yeah. You know, and they're yeah. really scared to admit that. So sometimes if you just take that initiative and reach out to them and explain it to them, they're going to come over to your side. Well, well great. It's, it's really been a, yeah, great talking to you, and uh, yeah, look forward to hearing more about your advocacy going ahead. Yeah, thanks so much. 
We have been talking to Monica Mallon all about the future of transit and how we're dealing with the virus. You can find this episode and all previous episodes of this program at the website seethecat.org. This is a presentation of Kaiser Shiro, Stanford. <laughs>